I'm grateful that the Lord says make a joyful noise, that he's not offended when we sing and have no voice. It's something, allergy or something, is just making my voice jump all over the place. But uh, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's a blessing to see you. This uh, meeting of our two classes, this is, I hope you get along. Hope the afternoon and the evening class gets along with each other, but I'm glad that you are you're here. Tonight we're going to be in chapter number 42 on Isaiah. And uh, we have been teaching virtually the same lesson in both afternoon and evening classes. However, as is always the case, there are little nuances that are different in each class. And so now you won't wonder what the other class learned because you'll be learning the same thing at the same time. Hopefully there'll be no more jealousies and animosities between the two groups. Have you had enough rain yet? Now, Robert would say no. He said, we're nowhere near enough yet. He's a farmer and knows we need that, uh, that backlog of, of rain. There you, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Chapter 42 in Isaiah, and I've told you this last few weeks, but I am thrilled to be this part of Isaiah. The first part of Isaiah for me is the, the, um, the, 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 the mountain that we're climbing, if you will to get to this part, and you don't appreciate as much, you don't appreciate as much this portion of Isaiah without climbing the hill in the first 39 chapters. And by going through those 49 chapters and seeing the, the, uh, the, the, the position that Israel and then Judah is in because of their sin and because of their judgment and because of what they forced God to do because of their wickedness, and then you get to the point where you realize, man, can there be any more? And then we get to chapter 40, finally, and we see God revealing his mercy. And I'm telling you, there's just nothing like it. Just nothing like the mercy of God. I could, I could tell you everything I know about heaven, and about five minutes later, <laughs> but, but, but there's no way we could adequately describe it. There's no way we can adequately describe Jesus. We can talk a little bit about him, but that, that, that's, that's no fair reflection of who he really is. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to be so incredibly blown away. And for that, I am so excited. And I think perhaps that's a little bit of what God did when he gave to Isaiah this last third of the book, is because he knew that it would be impossible for his people to get a real clear glimpse of what he is and how wonderful their eternity is going to be. But he wanted to give them just a little sneak peek, a little sneak peek that would help generations following up until now be encouraged in, in what we have to look forward to. I don't know what trials most of you have been through recently. I don't know the difficulties, the pressures that have mounted on top of your shoulders. But I know one of the things that God does is frequently gives us opportunities to look at what we have in our inheritance in Him. And we can be so encouraged by remembering this too shall pass. This is simply a little speed bump in the road. What we have to look forward to is an eternity that will never fade it will never get over, we will, we will never get over it in our excitement with the Lord. With all that said, let's look at Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number 1. Behold my servant, 
whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Let me give you a couple blanks here, then we'll pray. Number one is God's servant, the Messiah. Behold, my servant. Well, who is this servant? It's the Messiah. Letter A, the Messiah, as God's servant, will judge the Gentiles. The Messiah, as God's servant, will judge the Gentiles. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, and thank you this evening for revealing to us afresh your servant, the Messiah. Lord, would you open our eyes? Help us to spiritually see the beautiful Lord Jesus in a fresh way. And Lord, I so appreciate the book of Isaiah and the journey that we've been on. And I pray, Lord, that now we're in these mountaintop experiences. I pray, Lord, that you might uh, draw us closer to you and meet with us, I pray, tonight in a fresh way. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, number one under that is the identity of my servant confirmed. This context quickly reveals the identity of my servant, Quartus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The New Testament Gospel of Matthew says in chapter 12, verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Notice Matthew quotes this verse. In the gospel, it looks back and it quotes the, the book of Isaiah, or called Esaias here in Matthew. So the identity of my servant is confirmed of Jesus Christ. Number two, he was chosen by God, called God's elect, referring to his being chosen to offer atonement for the world and provide the means for redemption. Now, he could have looked in the future and he could have seen you. He could have seen me. He could have seen anybody of any generation. He could have chosen anyone to be that propitiator. But none of us qualified. It had to be someone perfect. It had to be someone sinless and spotless. And that narrowed the field to one. To Jesus. And God chose His Son in 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He was chosen, He was foreordained before the worlds were even created. Number three, He was His Father's delight. The scriptures record evidence of the Father's delight in His Son at His baptism, of course, followed by a visible demonstration of the Spirit's anointing. Of course, we remember the heavens opened up. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.16, And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, 
in whom I am well pleased. Number four, he will judge the Gentiles. The Lord Jesus will certainly bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. At the end of the tribulation, when he returns to destroy the wicked and establish his millennial kingdom. Joel chapter 3 and verse 2, I will also gather all nations, will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. In verse 12, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Letter B. The Messiah would not be a typical social activist. <laughs> He's not your typical social activist. Verse 2, he shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. If he were a typical social activist, he'd be screaming as loud as he could. He'd be holding up placards. He'd be doing whatever he could to make noise, but not Jesus. His earthly ministry was not characterized by loud demonstrations or violence. He was not a political activist, and he did not lead by force. He led by humility and love. Why did the people follow him? Because he was cracking a whip behind them? No, he followed them because he cared for them and served them and met their needs. He healed them. He loved on them. He taught them. And because of that, he couldn't get rid of them. He loved them, and they followed him wherever he went. In Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers was dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Well, you, you watch the, the television, and you see, you see rioting, or you see demonstrations. And you can tell when the camera is on somebody because all of a sudden they start yelling real loud or chanting something uh, real, real loud. Well, that's not Jesus. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Verse, or, uh, number th letter C, the Messiah's ministry would be in humility and gentleness. Verse 3, a bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. This is describing Jesus' gentle nature. He would minister in that, in that serving nature. He would not even disturb the bruised reed, nor quench the smoking flax. So tender would be the way he would lead, even the, those who are the most feeble among him, and the most handicapped among the people would not be put off by him. <laughs> Isaiah 40, 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Number one, their smoldering love for God. Smoking flax describes a dimly burning flame. This likely refers to the failing conscience of the people to whom he came. Their tie to God 
was almost extinguished. Just like in a lamp, if you've got this wick and it's burnt down and you see it's got into the, the melted wax and it's getting dimmer and dimmer, it won't be long before that wax extinguishes it. That's the way he's describing this. This flame is almost extinguished. Jesus came to rekindle their love for God and to direct them back to him. Number two, the victorious truth. It's interesting how Matthew's reference to this passage substitutes victory for truth. Matthew is a parallel passage here, Matthew chapter 12, to what we're reading here. Matthew 12, 20 says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. The word here is victory. Throughout the scriptures, truth is described as being victorious. His truth is marching on. There's victory. Jesus describes himself in John 14, 6 as the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is the victorious truth. Truth shall prevail. The truth shall set you free. I am the truth, Jesus said. I know there are times where it seems in this world that the truth will never come out. So much lying and so much deceit, so much deceivableness, being led by the master of lies himself. But the Bible says, truth will prevail. Letter D, the Messiah would find great success in spite of Israel's rejection. Verse 4, he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Number one, Jesus would neither fail nor be discouraged. Did Jesus fail when, when they actually captured him in the garden? When they hauled him off to those mock trials? He lost the trials. There was no defense. They forced him to go up Calvary's, cross, Calvary's hill. Then he laid down and they crucified him. Did he fail? Of course not. Of course not. The scope of Jesus' ministry is viewed here both as first and second coming to earth. In them he would neither fail nor be discouraged. Though Israel would reject him, his purposes would still be fulfilled. In Isaiah 49, verse 5, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Even if Israel's not gathered, I'm still going to be glorified. We serve a sovereign God. Number two, the nations would turn to him. The phrase, the isles shall wait for his law, likely describes Gentile nations of the world who would turn to him and accept him as their savior. Matthew 12, 21, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. In our parallel passage in Matthew. 
Letter E, the Messiah would receive a message from God. In verse number 5, thus saith, uh, thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, He that giveth bread unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. God seems to direct His message to the Messiah, declaring His power and omnipotence. It was God who created the worlds, who made man, who gave life to man. God would commission his Messiah and then aid him in his ministry. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Letter F. The Messiah would receive encouragement from God with a promise of his support. Verse 6. I, the Lord, this is Jehovah, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. This is God talking to God. It's hard to comprehend. It's the Father talking to the Son. God lovingly declared to His Son that He would be a help to Him in His earthly ministry. He would hold thine hand. as a powerful statement that the Father would be intimately involved in Jesus' work on earth. It discourages me of the thought of some people thinking that, thinking that God is, 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 is a God that He created the worlds, he created the worlds with sustaining systems that would be on their own and they would continue on without his help. And then he would go off someplace and just reside, leaving the world to its systems. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God that I read about is one that is intimately concerned with the needs of his people. And as we cry out to him, he listens and sometimes listens intently. He bows the ear to us. And there are times where God, in response to our asking, not some God way out there, but to our asking, specifically answers our prayers. I don't know about you. Yes, I do. I need God to answer my prayers. I need that. And my guess is you do too. This would be a powerful affirmation to Jesus in his humanity. In other words, the Father, recognizing that Jesus would be the God-man. In his humanity, Jesus could use the encouragement. Jesus had emotions. Jesus got tired. Those emotions got worn out like every other part of his system. He needed encouragements. God restates here the truth of John 3.16, that God gave His Son to the world to shed His blood and provide for man a new covenant with Him. His free gift of eternal life would be extended to both His people, the Jews, and us, the Gentiles. Hallelujah. In John 8.12, Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Letter G. The Messiah would open the eyes of the blind. 
verse 7, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. The Jews knew this. They, they knew that one of the, the identifying characteristics of the one who would be the Messiah is someone who opens blind eyes. And what did Jesus do frequently? He opened the eyes of the blind. They, they knew it. He, he met all the prophecies. But in spite of that, they chose to reject him. Uh, open the blind eyes to bring out prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. One of the spectacular aspects of Jesus' earthly ministry was his healings. He gave sight to those who could not see. Similarly, he came to bring light to a world blinded by sin's darkness. The world was bound in their sin, chained to their darkness. And Jesus would offer an escape. Number two, God addresses now Israel. He's been talking to his son Jesus, the Messiah. Now he directs his attention to Israel. Letter A, God turned back to Israel with a stern reminder. Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. To Israel, once again, God directs his message. Jehovah is his name, and he refuses to share his glory with anyone else. Obviously, he's reminding them of his hatred for idolatry. Exodus 34, 14 for thou shalt worship no other God. The Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. John 5, 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Can you imagine? I don't know where you pray, what your typical prayer area is. Mine is out in the living room. And, and it's, it's one of the easy chairs. I'll, I'll kneel down there. I pray. Imagine, if you will, if I had in the next chair to it, next to it, if I had an image of Buddha. And it wasn't real tall, only about, only about this tall. And, of course, Buddha's rotund and seated there. And as I come out in the morning, the first thing I would do is I'd bow to Buddha. Morning, Buddha. And perhaps I'd bring some bananas or whatever Buddha likes lay at the base of Buddha. Maybe I would, maybe I would quote something, some, something Buddhist, something, something that sounds kind of Buddhist-ish to it. And then I would go to the next chair, I'd kneel down, and I'd pray, okay, now it's your turn. How do you suppose God would appreciate that? I mean, after all, I'm giving him time. I, I can even give him twice the time I gave. I can even give him ten times the amount of time I gave to old Buddha. How would he feel about that? Well, of course, we serve a jealous God. A jealous God. He wants all of us. And he wants all of our attention. He wants our heart. And what Israel was struggling with is sharing their heart with some other God. Letter B, God told Israel he would give them new prophecies. In verse 9, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and 
New things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Before it happens, I'm going to t it sounds to me like prophecy, didn't you? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it happens. I'm prophesying something. God told them that his former prophecies have been fulfilled, giving proof to his position. Many of his predictions have been concerning Israel's time in Babylon and the remnant that would return to Jerusalem and build the temple. And that all of his previous predictions were all accurate, it's time now to give some new prophecies of things that will happen even before they begin to show. Number three, God looks to the nations of the world. Letter A, God's command to sing praise to Jesus. Verse 10, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea, and all that, there, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. This seems to be a look to the future when Israel's turned their hearts to the Lord. Of course, at the end of the tribulation, we've said so many times, at the end of the tribulation, the Lord Jesus will return with the saints following. He will destroy all the wicked. The only ones then living will be the saved. The saved will be those that have been one to Jesus, with the right kind of heart. He says, sing unto the Lord a new song. Their, com um, let's see. Their combined voices will raise and praise to their Redeemer, thanking Him for His great love and mercy. And that day, the whole world will be compelled to praise the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The whole world compelled to praise the Lord. Romans 14, 11, For it's written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Letter B. All will join in the grand song of praise to Christ. Verse 11. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit, the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. All parts of the world will be enjoined to sing praise to the Messiah. Specifically named are those in the Arabian desert, called Kadarians, who live nomadic lives, constantly wandering. Also, those inhabitants of the rock will join in singing. I think this is talking about those inhabitants of Petra, where is Idumea, or Edom, and certain Ishmaelites. What's emphasized here is that even the Arab nations will join in this song of praise to Jesus. Hey, wait a minute. Arab nations? I thought those were mostly Muslim. You mean they're going to join in praise? Yes, because there will be many who come to Jesus Christ for trust and salvation in Him. The mountains named could be those of Paran, south of Sinai, in the Arabian desert. Psalm 66, 4, All the earth shall worship thee, and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Letter C, The nations will glorify the one they had previously rejected. Verse 12, Let them give glory unto the Lord, and declare his praise in the islands. Again, isles, 
islands tends to refer to the nations of the earth, the Gentile nations. All the lands will give glory to the one they had initially rejected. Isaiah 24, 14, they shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Letter D, God's wrath will be unleashed against his enemies. Verse 13, the Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. No longer will the Lord store his wrath. It will be a time of unleashing the long-stored indignation against his enemies and those of his people. He will stir up jealousy or that protection of his honor and will lash out and destroy his enemies. Exodus 34, 14, For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Number four, God focuses on Israel. Letter A, God will cry aloud in great wrath. Verse 14, I have long time holding my peace. I've been still and refrained myself. But notice, now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. I have to chuckle a little bit because I've heard a travailing woman. <laughs> All the deliveries of my children. I was in there and I got to hear the screams of a travailing woman. They weren't all my wife. Some were coming down the hall from other women that were screaming at the same time. It was quite a cacophony of screams. But God says, I'm going to scream, cry. This seems to describe the years of God's long suffering. Those years that God was so mistreated, especially by his own people and their lust for idols. Though he had waited much time, still there would come a day in which he would cry aloud in anger. He's describing a woman in labor. The Lord will release his pent-up fury and destroy his enemies at once. Psalm 83, verse 1 and 2. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. Now, I know it's an off-the-wall thought, but when, when God releases his anger here, for, for me, I get the idea of God just, just doing that, just, just, just uh, almost, almost out of control. But you understand, God's not out of control. Not in the least bit. Because what we're talking about is him getting angry and and coming, coming, uh, letting his fury at one planet, the people in one planet. And think of the rest of his creation. At the same time, he's got this marvelous universe that he created with these stars that dwarf the sun, let alone the earth. The magnitude of what happened in his creation when he spoke the worlds into creation is just six days. He spoke it. They're all there. And that was no, no exhaustion of his power in the least bit. So here we are on this day where he's unleashing his anger. 
It, this is not taxing him in the least bit. He's not in the least bit out of control. He is focusing his anger very precisely, like taking a magnifying glass and having the sun's rays uh, magnified through that little thing into a tiny little speck. Totally controlled. It would be an awesome, awesome time. Letter B, God's wrath will be devastating. Verse 15, I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all their herbs, and I will make the rivers islands, and I will dry up the pools. In this release of his wrath, God's destruction will be devastating. The herbs that grow on the mountainsides will all be dried up along with the rivers. Becoming islands is a description of being dried up. Letter C, God would open the eyes of blind Israel. Verse 16, And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I'll make darkness light before them, and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. This is surely addressed to Israel. They're blind. When God brought his severe judgment, it would be to wake them up and turn them to his truth, the light. God desired to open their eyes to his truth, the truth of Jesus as the Messiah, and their personal need of repentance. Jesus is the Messiah. Blind Israel, you that rejected Christ, you that denied Christ, it was Jesus all the time. Israel was God's covenant people, and he had promised to not forsake them. Letter D, Israel would be ashamed of their idolatry. In verse 17, they shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images, that say to the molten images, ye are our gods. Notice, they shall be greatly ashamed when they realize the foolishness of idolatry. Those idols and strange gods that had plagued the lusts of the people of God would become stabbing memories of shame in the days of God's great wrath. Israel would finally be delivered from the deep ties they had with idols. Letter E, God appealed to his deaf people to hear him. Not only was Israel blind, but they were deaf. They were refusing to hear. Verse 18, Hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that ye may see. They had become blind or become deaf to the pleadings and warnings of God regarding their wanton lust for idolatry. Just like little children that plug their ears. I can't hear you. God called out to them once again to open their ears to him and turn back to him. Isaiah 29, 18, In that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Letter F, God marveled at Israel's blindness. Verse 19, he says, Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant? He's referring to his people, Israel, as his servant. They were blind spiritually. They were deaf to his pleading. He declared, who is so blind as someone who thinks he's perfect? 
and who considers himself safe because of their pedigree. The Jew thought he was safe because he was a Jew. He could live however he wanted to as long as he had that pedigree. He felt like he was safe. They were blind and they were deaf. Letter G, God had given Israel many messages, but they had ignored them all. Verse 20, seeing many things, but thou observest not, opening the ears, but he heareth not. God through the years had given Israel both signs and wonders, along with messengers like prophets, all to point them back to himself. Instead, they refused to heed them by observing them not, nor opening the ears. They had ignored all of God's gracious attempts to win them back. Letter H, God is well pleased in his Messiah. Verse 21, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. Returning to his Messiah, God is well pleased in him. The Messiah will exalt the law, God's word, and hold it high once again as honorable. Romans 8, 3 and 4, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Letter I, God describes the horrible condition of his people. Verse 22, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivereth, for a spoil, and none saith, restore. God here described the spiritual condition of Israel. They were in such a horrible shape. They were like victims of robbery. They'd been robbed and captives in prison. They're hunted by fierce hunters, and no one is there to deliver them. Israel has no one who cares enough to encourage them to get right with God. Letter J, God appealed to Israel. Verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? God asked Israel if there was anyone willing to listen to his warnings. Would anyone pay attention to him before it was too late? Had not his previous judgments been enough to convince them of his seriousness? Jeremiah 3.13 says, Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Letter K, God reminded Israel that their judgments had come from him. Verse 24, Who gave Jacob for a spoil, and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord... He against whom we have sinned, for they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his law. Just in case they were still confused as to how they got in such a horrible mess, it was God that delivered them to their oppressors. God's judgments had come down upon them for their unwillingness to listen to him or walk in his ways, and they had still refused to obey the law that he had so carefully committed to them. Letter L, 
Israel continued to ignore God. Verse 25, Therefore he hath poured upon him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It hath set him on fire round about, yet he knew not. And it burned him, yet he laid it not to heart. In spite of the deplorable condition in which Israel found itself, attacked, ravaged, defeated, destroyed, and deported, still they had not taken God's judgment to heart. They still refused to consider God by repenting of their wickedness and turning to Him. Malachi 2.2, If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. And that's chapter 42. I love how it began God talking to God, the Father encouraging His Son. And then as we got about a third way into it, He turned to Israel and said to Israel, um, I want you to understand, this relationship I just described between myself and myself, <laughs> between the Father and the Son, that relationship, that bond, that love that we have, is a love that was meant for you. You. You just receive it for your own. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, and thank you for giving us Isaiah chapter 42. And dear Lord, thank you for this reminder tonight of your great love. How encouraging to see you, Heavenly Father, encouraging your Son. And how encouraging it is to be reminded that we serve a merciful God. That in spite of Israel's continual idolatry, still at the end you were there in mercy to redeem them. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for this study. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.